Well, it's great to be back after being in Korea for two weeks. Thank you. Um, I did bring back one thing, and if Jonathan could play the video for me. This is what the ushers do when you're leaving the uh, world's largest church in Korea. It's at uh, Dr. Choster's Yoido Church in uh, South Korea. So we're going to have our ushers start doing this. Jonathan, if you could play that, it's on my sermon. again and there's a whole group of them they all yell hallelujah and bow as you're coming down the steps the church is about 800,000 people and uh, so we decided that uh, our ushers are going to get the white coats and start doing it and um, I just wanted to show you that that video we'll have a meeting later but uh, last week I was in uh, South Korea and we had a exciting experience throughout the week I was at a prayer meeting on the DMZ uh, meeting with uh, soldiers from the South Korean Army. We were about three kilometers from North Korea and just having a prayer meeting with the soldiers. That was exciting. And went to the largest uh, Methodist church in the world at 80,000 people. I, I was in nursery duty during that week, during that service. Loved it. So if anybody ever says, you know, Pastor, why do you keep asking us to do nursery duty? Nursery duty is great. You need to do it. So uh, um, that was what I did last week. And then we went to the largest church in the world. That was the one up there. And uh, went to that one. We went to the fifth service out of seven and uh, just enjoyed our time there. And so uh, it was a great week, very tiring, 27-hour uh, total flight time and layover time on the way home. So if I'm still a little groggy, still kind of feel that way. But uh, just a great trip and a great opportunity to see the people of Korea. Um, they, they really love Americans there. Uh, they're very thankful for the support, and they're praying very hard for reunification. Um, they're, they pray very hard for the people of North Korea. Uh, the pastor at the Methodist church that we were at, he is North Korean, and his story was he was a uh, surgeon in the North Korean army, saw an opportunity to defect, and ran over to the other side and became a pastor. So... He has, a, has family still in North Korea. They, they pray hard for unification. They pray hard for uh, peace. But one of the things that they told us uh, that was fascinating is we're li they're living uh, under the brunt of nuclear war at any time. We think about that. And we ask them, are you scared? They say, no, we pray. And that was very exciting to hear. That they said, we, we have Jesus. And uh, Jesus is better than North Korea. Jesus is more powerful. And so we uh, saw a lot of people that prayed. And so it was a great experience. I can share more with you later. Uh, just uh, very, every time we walked into a place, people gave us gifts. I had to buy a new bag just to bring home the gifts that they gave me. Because they're just like, hey, they tell me, meet you. Here's a gift. Here's a gift. Here's a gift. So I just have all these gifts. And uh, just very generous people. So I want to talk today about identity in Christ. And if you study identity... Um, some people might talk about stolen identity. That's one of the things that you see as you go on the internet or people do dumpster diving, trying to get your uh, name and social security number, things like that. And all of a sudden you've got charges that were made in a different country or a different place. You don't know what's going on. 
Somebody's taken out an account on your name and they're claiming that they're you. There's also the concept of people identify and don't know what their identity is. Kind of an identity crisis. People just, they, they say, who am I? What does it really mean? What, what do I mean? What am I all about? And then there's the concept that's kind of going around, whether it's in sexuality or other things, is you self-identify. Well, who do you identify as today? And it's kind of a revolving thing. I identify as this. I identify as that. And we need to understand that we have identity and that identity comes from Christ. There is something that we have from him that is beyond anything. It cannot be stolen. Nobody should, can take our identity. We can give it up. We can pretend that it's not there, but it cannot be taken from us. We know who we are in Christ. But the problem is we don't always act like it. We don't always believe it. We don't always acknowledge who we are in Christ. And we need to understand that there is an identity that is in Christ. And the passage we're going to talk about today is in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. We're continuing our series on hope for exiles. This is Peter, and he's preaching to a group of people that are feeling exiled in their own world. They feel like they're in a different world because they are Christians, and the rest of the world is pushing them aside and saying, we don't, you don't fit in with us anymore. And we can identify with that ourselves. We don't always fit into this world. We don't fit into what people want us to do because we have a different identity, and that's in Christ. And that is going to cause us to be different. And that is going to cause sometimes for us to feel like an exile. But Peter is writing to these people saying, your identity in Christ is greater than anything in this world, and don't give up on it. And he's writing them with a message of hope. So let's look at 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As I was looking through this passage, I talked to, I, I read various people how they looked at this passage, and a lot of people said that this should be a passage that should be pasted on your wall. It should be on your refrigerator. It should be this, who you are in Christ. What is your identity in Christ? That you are not second class, but you are all the things that's going to be talked about. It's important that we understand that. First of all, it's important to understand that our identity has its basis, its everything on who Christ is. If you look at verse 4, it says, He is a living stone, talking about Christ, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And he's talking about God. He's talking about Jesus. Says, Christ determines who you are. 
Nobody else determines who you are. Your parents don't determine who you are. Where you are from does not determine who you are. What people have told you who you are does not determine that. Christ determines it. He is a living stone. What does that mean? He is alive forevermore. Okay? You think about the concept of a living stone, you're like, rocks aren't alive. Anybody else think that? Go outside, look at a rock. Uh, do you, does anybody remember the pet rock thing of the 70s? For all of us that are a little older, I mean, for anybody that's, if you want to laugh at your parents' age, there was a time when people would go and buy a rock as a pet, and there were instructions of how to take care of your pet rock. And you may say to yourself, wow, that's really dumb. It kind of was, but it was a trend. It took over, but they weren't alive, okay? They really didn't have a lot of needs, and maybe that's why they liked them as pets. But the concept is, is that Christ is alive. The concept is he's a stone and talks about the cornerstone of his, his power and his strength, but he's alive, which means he has been resurrected from the dead. He was rejected by humanity. Jesus would say one thing and people would do the opposite, just like today. Jesus would say, love your enemy and people would hate their enemy. Jesus would say, do not lie and people would lie. They rejected his thing. They rejected his being a servant. They rejected who he said he was. They rejected him. And it's important for us to understand that his message was rejected, and, but he was not rejected by God. And finally, they crucified him. The ultimate rejection. They said, we don't want to listen to you anymore, so we're going to kill you. But what does God say to that? He becomes a living stone because of his resurrection. It says that he was rejected and he was, became alive, but there was a past action. The tense that is used here means something happened in the past, but it affects us in the future. Christ died on the cross for us and rose again. You know what that means? Life for us. Life for us. And it also says that in the sight of God, he became chosen and precious. In contrast with humans, and this is going to happen, you're going to have choices in this world, everybody. You're going to have a choice to be chosen by this world or chosen by God. It's just a fact. When your friends, when your community, when your nation, when your media, when your culture tells you to be this way, God tells you this way, you have to choose whether you'd rather be chosen by God or chosen by people. And if anybody has lived long enough, and you don't have to live very long, to understand that people are fickle. People change their mind. People will say, this is what's really great, and then the next minute they're not liking that. But God chose a path for you. God has chosen, he made Christ chosen and precious. And the resurrection and exaltation of Christ is that God said, my son who died has now been raised from the dead, and I have chosen him, and he is precious in my sight. So in other words, humanity said, we don't like the message of Jesus. We don't want to hear about giving up our own wicked ways. But God said, this is the best way. And also, he is the chosen cornerstone. Now, for all of us here, a lot of us don't build structures with stones. Okay? If you do, it's called a quaint little thing. I don't think a lot of us are going around looking for the cornerstone. But at this time period, if you were going to build a building, you went to look for a cornerstone. And I read stories that people would take half a day or a day 
looking for the perfect cornerstone for their building. Why? Because, have anybody ever been in a house that has absolutely no square corners? I've lived in a house like that. Where you could tell the builders, you're like, okay, did anybody, did somebody forget the, you know, the square, the level, the whatever? Because once you get off in one area, everything gets off. And the cornerstone, he's going to talk about in verse 6, that he is the cornerstone, is the foundation for everything. It is where you set your levels. It is where you set, it is the thing that has all the pressure on it. And if that cornerstone breaks, everything falls apart. So Christ is our cornerstone, it says in verse 6, and he is chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The base of everything then is our basis in Christ. If we have a basis in Christ, we will never be put to shame. And you say, wait a second, as a Christian, sometimes I'm put to shame by other people or they try to shame me. Okay, and that is going to happen as Christians. But again, he's going to make this contrast. Would you rather be rejected by the living God or rejected by humanity? Would you rather have eternal peace with Jesus Christ or eternal misery with those who are wicked on this world? There's a choice that's coming up. He's saying Christ sets the standard. The world doesn't set the standard because the standard of what is right and wrong, guess what, changes constantly in this world. What used to be right is now wrong. We used to be, you know, you're told to do this, now you're told to do this, and tomorrow you may be told to do this, and this and that. But God is a precious cornerstone. Jesus Christ sets the standard for us. And not only that, He is worthwhile to put all of our dependency on Him. He is a cornerstone that can withstand any pressure in this world. Nothing else in this world holds up. No other society, no other friendship, no anything holds up the power of Jesus Christ. So our identity is based on who Christ is. The fact that he was shamed, he was think, tells us that we're never going to be shamed before him. The fact that he is alive says that we're going to be alive in him. The fact that he was rejected is also, just for the record, means that we will be rejected. If you want to have everybody love you, you cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's just plain and simple. Now, I'll give you a secret. If you want everybody to love you, you can't. So, I mean, just for the record, there is nobody out there that everybody loves. Some of you says, well, I just want everybody to like me. Not possible. You can choose one path or the other, but if you want, don't you want to choose the path that is done by the living God? Not some person who really doesn't know what they're talking about? And it's important that we take that into understanding. Our identity also is in our relationship with Christ. The identification we have as believers in Christ is that we, we have been rejected by society, but we are chosen and precious by God. We are vindicated after suffering like Jesus. Jesus suffered. He didn't turn his back. He suffered and he was vindicated. And it's important for us to understand that we are, what is true of Christ is going to be true of us. And verse 5 continues, You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now here's what's important to understand. And here's what we completely sometimes miss in our society, especially our Western society. We are in this together as living stones in Christ. 
What, what fascinates me constantly about us as Christians, and especially I think northern Minnesota Christians, we may have it worse. And I think it comes from the weather. I really do. Because you open the door, especially I know a few of us here have just moved here, and I, and I always feel like I have to do counseling for people that have moved here from another area, and I have to sit down with them and say, okay, guess what? It gets worse. Um, it gets colder. Sometimes you're not going to want to feel like getting out. And we can be very solitary here. We can be very solitary people. And we can say, yeah, I just want to stay home. It's too cold. It's too difficult. I have to scrape my windshield. But everything in the Bible, and I mean everything, from the Lord's Prayer, which says, our Father. It doesn't say my Father. Do you notice that? Our Father. He doesn't say living stone. He says living stones. We make up the body of Christ. We need one another. We cannot be solitary Christians. This concept of I can stay at home, watch some TV, get some good teaching. You know, the pastor, there's really good preaching on TV and on the internet, and they might even be better than me. I'm going to say that that's not true. But the question is, that's not what we're supposed to do. We are being built by God, it is very clear, as a spiritual house. We ourselves, everything here is plural. We need one another. We are exiled from this society, which means we, need, we have our identity as a people together. And one of the things we struggle with is that identity together. Because what do we talk about? Jesus is my personal Savior. I'm not saying that that's not a good thing. But what about Jesus is our Savior? Our together. That we have a unity in Him. The building is made up, he's talking about a household, made up of believers. And they are living things. We have life. Christ is the foundation. And we are the building blocks of the church. We are the ones that have been set up by Christ, built up by Him to be His representative in this world and also to bring life to each other. He is the living stone and we then are living stones ourselves. We bring hope and peace to one another. When we gather together, we bring life to each other. We do, but we cannot do that if we are separated because we are called to be together. We are not dead, but we are alive because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand that we have been transformed into living stones. And, we are, and then it says that we, what purpose do we have? We are a priesthood. We are a priesthood, again, not as individual priests. We are a priesthood together. What does that mean? We don't use the term a priest here. We don't talk about this. Now, most of my Catholic friends are still, still want to call me Father all the time. I have my, my Catholic friends I grew up with, well, how's Mass going, John? How's Father? I'm like, well, I'm not Catholic, but thanks for asking. And we, in, the, in the priesthood, or you think about with the Jewish people, they have priests and things like that. But he is using a term here to say that we are part of a group and we need to make sacrifices to God. What are our sacrifices? Whatever is pleasing to God. Why do we do what is good in this life? Not to impress God. We do not go up to God and say, God, today 
I'd like to give you my checklist of all the wonderful things I did so that you will love me. The Bible says that no one on this earth is worthy of being loved by Jesus Christ. Zero. So if you're trying to make a checklist, and I think we've all gotten this way in our life, of trying to please God by our actions, we're not going to, to please Him enough to love us. He loves us first, and then we do what pleases Him. Why? Because that is our sacrifice to Him. Whatever is pleasing to Him. And it includes our actions, our evangelism, our acts of Christian love. This is what we do as a holy priesthood. We look for opportunities to show the love of Jesus Christ to others. We look for that opportunity in Him. And who was our example? Jesus Christ. What did Christ do on this earth? He was always looking for an opportunity to serve. He came to this world to serve, not to be served. Jesus Christ, the creator of all humanity, the creator of the whole world, came to this earth and could have just walked in. I've said this many times before. He could have just walked in and said, I'm here, now start serving me. Because you know what? He was worthy of it. He could have said, everybody line up. You do this for me. You do this for me. You do this for me. By the way, I created you. I, I kind of have some ownership here. Uh, see, that, see that tree over there? Mine. See that river? Mine. See everything here? Mine. But what did Christ do? He came to the world to serve, to seek, to bring compassion to people. What does He ask us to do? The same thing. Christ gives us the example and does it, and He has no reason to do it except out of love for the Father and shows us that we're supposed to do the same thing. And it says then, it continues on in verse 7, it says, the honor is for those who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders reject has become the cornerstone. And he keeps going on about the fact that it is for us who believe, and it becomes our foundation. But what happens is, we need to understand, is that people that do not follow Jesus Christ will stumble over, it talks about a stone of stumbling in verse 8, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. They refuse to believe and follow Jesus Christ. They refuse to obey the word. And you know what happens when you don't follow Jesus Christ? It's very simple. You stumble. And you wonder why you stumble. You don't follow after Jesus Christ. I remember examples. I remember as a kid being told not to play with something that was sharp. Guess what happened when I played with something that was sharp? It involved band-aids and bleeding. Okay? Why? Because it's just a natural thing that playing with something sharp when you're a little kid is going to lead to band-aids and bleeding. It is just, it says you're destined to do that. And if we, as people as non-Christians who refuse to follow God's Word and then come to me, I tell you what, as a pastor sometimes, and as somebody, don't you want to tell people, well, what did you expect to happen when you just went out on your own? And sometimes as a parent, you say that. Well, what did you expect to happen? You know, when you lit your brother on fire, it's a bad thing, okay? That it's not a good thing that you did this. And it's important that we understand this. And so if you've heard the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I'm going to not listen to God and then wonder why I'm not happy. I'm going to refuse to listen to God's plan for my life which is the ultimate source of peace and joy in my life, and then wonder why I'm not happy. Wonder why I live in such pain. Wonder why I can't find a good relationship. 
You know, I'm looking for a good woman, and I keep going to the bars looking, and I just can't find one. And I say to myself, because you're looking in the wrong spots. I can't find this. I can't find peace. I can't find joy in my life. You know, I don't, I don't ever study God's Word. I don't pray. I don't go to church. But I wonder why I just can't find peace. And you say to yourself, because you're not following after the Prince of Peace. You're not following after what He has called. And it says, you will stumble. God designed life that those who do not follow God's design are destined to stumble. In other words, there are instructions. Now, I am a man... And I don't like to hear that, their instructions. Because we as men think that instructions are for the weak. Okay? We, I mean, I know as men, we're like, well, we can figure this out ourselves. Every once in a while, you've got to look and find out what you're supposed to do. Why does B1 fit into C2? I mean, sometimes you have to figure it out. And we as men and women need to understand that God has designed us in a certain way. We are destined for approval, but those who do not follow Christ, are destined to shame before God. It's just that simple in Jesus Christ. Now, it ends, verse 9 and 10, basically every once in a while you'll hear in the Bible where you can tell that they just got excited. I could just see at certain times, he's like, I got to lay down the foundation. And then he just says, oh boy, now it gets good. Because you can just hear, and you've heard this before, you probably remember this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He just goes on and just nails at all these things. You are these things. Now start living this way. He says, in contrast to the believers, he says, but you are. He says, you're different than unbelievers. You are in community. You are a chosen race. You are a new race set aside for God's favor and purpose. You are no longer Jews or Gentiles. You are no longer black or white. You are no longer any color. You are a chosen race by God. You have a unity that crosses over every single thing. God has obliterated the race line. Now you say, I still don't see it because we haven't haven't fully accepted who we are in God. The reason that we still have these tensions is because we have not accepted and followed after God, who has said we are a, cho- a chosen race. They were accused by the people of Rome by being disloyal and being, well, you're not true Romans. And it's important to understand that we are true Christians. Not true, Amer- I mean, we're not always going to follow what America says. We're not always going to follow what our government says. When our government said things like um, that slavery in our world, the church didn't stand up like it should have. And should have said, no, we will follow God, not man. When the world says that something is right, when it's supposed to be wrong, we have to say we will follow God and not this. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. What does that mean? We are set apart for holiness. We are an example to the nations. And a priesthood, what does a priesthood do? We bring grace to those around us. We are a holy nation, a people set apart by God's blessing. And what he's saying is that we are different from this world. We are unity and citizenship in heaven. We have hope in Christ. And what is the purpose of all these things? What is the purpose of being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, being set aside, a holy nation? It says, who called you out of, and why were we called out of the darkness into his marvelous light? Let's just look at that term for a second. You're called out of the darkness. (laughs) 
When I was in uh, general counsel, I was in the middle of the night in a strange bathroom, and I got up in the middle of the night. This is right before we were going to have to walk thousands of steps. I hit my toe, my little toe, on the side of the bed and ripped off my little toenail. I just wanted to share that with you as a good loving. And for the rest of the time that we were in California, it hurt. I'm just going to be honest with you. My little pinky toe hurt. You know, it just sounds bad when you say it. That What's wrong, John? Uh, I ripped off my uh, pinky toe. It hurt. Oh, you, you know, it feels like you're not very manly to say that. But why did I do that? Why on earth would I take my little toe and jam it into the side of a bed? Why would I do that? Well, because I couldn't see the bed. I was in darkness. I mean, if I could have seen the bed, my toe would have been nowhere near that edge of that bed. But it says that we have been trans- brought out of darkness into marvelous light. It says when that light would have turned on, I could have seen that bed. My toenail would still be there. Okay? I, it's, it's in California right now. It's forever going to be in California. But we need to understand that the marvelous light takes us out of that darkness. We're not stumbling around wondering where we're going. We're not hoping that we don't cause pain in our life. We have the light of Christ. And why does this happen? Because it says, once you were not a people, verse 10, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And it comes back, it says, that you may proclaim, in verse 9, the excellencies of of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, our job, we did it today. We sang praises to God. We now are worshiping God through the preaching of the word. We're worshiping God by acting in community with one another. But we are proclaiming God's glory. And he has called us out of the darkness into the light so we can help other people. When you see somebody else about to rip off their little toenail, turn the light on for them. If that's the only thing you remember today is Pastor John lost a toenail and I'm going to help other people not do that. Okay, that's good. I can live with that. But you're the flashlight. You're the flashlight in the dark. You're the one saying, this is the excellent way. You're the light to the world. The world's looking for light. They're stumbling around. They're hurting themselves. You're the one who comes in and brings them light. Now guess what? They're not always going to accept it. But if they look to the light that you have because of Jesus Christ in you, they're going to not have the pain in their life. They're not going to stumble. They're not going to have, they're not going to be tripped up by the cornerstone. The cornerstone is going to be their foundation. So we have been called to proclaim God's glory on this earth. We have been given a royal priesthood. We have been called a chosen race, a holy nation, a people called after him to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to this world. Why don't you stand with me right now? If our prayer ministers could come forward. We believe in prayer. We believe in a God who answers prayer. And we believe that we proclaim the excellency of Christ. We proclaim the fact that by our prayers, we are here to pray for God's glory. We are here to pray for God to reach into people's lives 
and transform their lives. For if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never made him the master of your life, you've never asked him to forgive you of your sin, you are walking in darkness. And God wants to turn on the lights. And we as a church want to be that, the light for you. We want to show you that there's a better way, that you don't have to stumble around, that you don't have to live in darkness, that you don't have to live um, wondering what's next in this life. You have hope in Jesus Christ. You don't have to carry the shame of your sin with you. You have hope because of the living stone, which is Jesus Christ, who, is, who died and was resurrected. If you'd like to become a Christian and make that commitment, you can come and talk to one of our counselors, prayer ministers after the service. But for the rest of us, let's identify who we are. You are a royal priesthood. That means we are set aside to bring the good news and to intervene for our society. We are a chosen race. What do we identify as? I mean, we, maybe we should write when it puts ra race, we should put down Christian. That ought to mess up the census workers. But, you know, just the whole concept of we are a chosen race. We have now broken down the barriers. We have this. We are a holy nation. A na people called out, he's using an Old Testament term here about Israel, but he's extending it to the church and saying we are called by God and chosen by him. A people for his own possession. God has called us. We are living stones in Him. Now let's start to live and identify ourselves with Christ. Let's be that, that image in our own life. Let's just start to identify with who we are. Let's just say, you know what? I don't care what the world says about me. I don't care what my family says about me. I don't care what these other people say. I am a chosen person of God. I am somebody that He has called and said He is precious and He loves me. That is greater than any love in this world. You may feel rejected by this world. The stone that the builders rejected, Christ knows the rejection. But he says that you are accepted by him. Amen. It's time that we start to live this, but it's also time we start to proclaim this excellency to this world. This world needs to hear this gospel. The world is stumbling around looking. They may reject it, but understand that we have the answer what people are looking for. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today for your peace. We thank you today for your, that you are the living stone, God. That you were rejected by this world, but God, you were accepted by God the Father. And God, because of the rejection of Christ, and because of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, we have hope. We have identity in Christ. Lord, this world, Lord, may, it, may accept us, they may not. It can be a cruel world, God, but you know we serve a wonderful God. And the God that loves us, that set us aside, that calls us His own, a royal priesthood God, a chosen race, we need to understand, God, that that is our identity. And when we have identity in You, God, there is nothing this world can throw at us that cannot be handled by You. You are the cornerstone, God. You are our foundation. You are the one that keeps us straight. You are the one that keeps us going. We ask you now, God, to be with us this week and let us proclaim your excellencies to the world. Let us bring the light 
into a dark world, God. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Our prayer ministers are available. Otherwise, you are dismissed.